Thanks for joining us for the Exchange Church Podcast. Here's this week's message from Pastor Trey Rose. Morning. We're in a series called Murder Mystery. And I'm really excited about today. The Lord has kind of wrecked me in the sermon. However, I think I got through all of my tears in first service, so um, I might be able to communicate a little more effective in this service. I really hate when God messes up my world when I think I'm going in one direction, and then he says, nope, you're wrong. I want to take you somewhere else. So, and by the way, I'm going to do heart surgery on you in the process. I'm preaching from a place today not of um, expertise. But definitely from a place of passion and hope and what the Lord is doing in my life in this season. Let's get to the word, shall we? Psalm 139. Verses 1 through 18. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. The title of my sermon today is, You've Been Framed. You've been framed. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And sometimes I listen to you when you tell me not to say it. Sometimes I don't. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I need tissue. I can't see through the tears. Or maybe I'll do this. Or maybe I just need glasses. Thanks. Where was I at? Oh, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you, O oh God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Father, come before you today, and I thank you so much for, for what you're doing in my heart, what you're doing in my family, and, 
in this church, in this community. God, I ask that you just continue to even bring healing to my soul as I preach this word from your word, because your word has life in it. And I ask, God, that I would have the benefit of becoming an empty vessel in these next 20 minutes so that others might experience your goodness and your faithfulness toward me and toward them. Spirit, move among us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Before you sit down, let's change the atmosphere just a bit. Um, High five somebody, slap somebody's broken arm, give somebody a hug, and then you may be seated. the title of this sermon a couple months ago when we decided the murder mystery. I've been framed. You've been framed. Man, it was going to be an amazing sermon. It was going to be so awesome. I had been planning it and working through it. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you what I was going to preach about because it's awesome and I don't want to waste it. This is a picture, right? This is a painting. Uh, the artist painted a tree, butterflies, sky, grass. But how many know, naturally, when you look at a painting or a picture, your brain fills in beyond the frame. You understand that the tree does not stop here. The tree carries on out and it creates shade. You understand that the sky is wider and more vast than here. Um, It goes beyond the frame. The artist, um, in her uh, genuine Uh, artistry, looks at what she wants to paint in her mind, but then has to frame it. Say, even a photographer, you've seen them do this, right? They're framing what they want the subject to look like, where they want the subject to be, so that the eye will travel. Rebecca, you're one of our photographers on team, and so you may take different framing shots until you find just the right one, because part of The job is to be framed in a way that tells the story that you want to tell. This is pretty simple philosophy, correct? What I wanted to say and what I wanted to preach about is that you've been framed by God in such a way that when we look at the canvas of your life, we see everything that is beautiful. Like your past is is way back here. It's not in the picture frame. You're Your failures are way over here. It's not in the picture frame. We keep wanting to frame our life over here on our past, but God says, that's not in the frame. That's not the artistry that I want to present to the world. It sounds awesome. And it was going to get a lot of amens. It's just not biblical. I tried really hard to twist scripture, because I just felt so inspired by this concept. I mean, we all want to forget our past. We all want to forget our failures. We all want to, we don't want the world seeing that. But 
the truth of the matter is God frames all of us, the lovely parts and the messy parts, and he calls it all beautiful. We keep trying to put a frame around only the lovely parts of our world. And what happens is we walk around creating a mask saying, oh, look at me. Look at me. You don't see the dead branch over here dangling. Just look at this perfect tree with butterflies and a blue sky and green grass. You don't see over here that there's no grass growing. It's all dirt and muddy still from yesterday's rain. Just look at this. But that's not what God wants us to live our life like. Today, I'm talking to you about vulnerability. Vulnerability. And if we go back to verse 15, maybe it's 15. Yes. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Many of us are trying to project the beautiful parts of us, but the things in the secret place we don't want the world to see. But can I just tell you that your daddy sees it all. There is nothing in your frame that is out of his sight, and there is nothing in your story that makes him want to close the book and stop reading. He thinks about you all the time. He wants to know you even more than he does now. He wants you to know him even more than you do now. Like, You've been framed, and you've got some messes in your life. So do I. I know this because I'm on social media with all of you. I see the good. I see the bad. You've seen the good in me. You've seen the bad in me. But the, the wonderful thing is that Jesus loves it all. I want to show you how Jesus was vulnerable. You see, it would be easy for us to say, well, Jesus was the Son of God. He was perfect. There was no flaw. He, he didn't have to be vulnerable about anything because he was God. I can never measure up to that. That's what we like to say so that we can protect those secret places in our heart and we don't have to actually rip apart our heart and lay it bare and be vulnerable with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But let me show you in Matthew chapter 26 where Jesus was very, very vulnerable. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further. So he leaves the three disciples there and he goes a little bit further away from them. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returns. So he says that prayer all alone. All alone, no one is listening, no one's eavesdropping. In fact, when he returns to the disciples, they're sleeping. So they were asleep when he prayed this prayer about God, please take this cup, let it pass from me. And he says, could you not stay awake with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken Unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
Then he comes back to the disciples. He again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away one more time, prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Now, how many times did Jesus pray this context of let this thing pass, let it go away? Like make the debt disappear, God. How many times? How many times did he pray that while he was alone? So have you ever thought to ask the question, how did it make it in the Bible if there were no witnesses to what he was praying? Obviously, somewhere down the road, Jesus met with his disciples, maybe by a campfire, maybe when they were having fish after he rose from the dead, maybe, uh, you know, when he was making breakfast, maybe when they were just walking on a seven-mile stretch of road. Maybe he made something known and he said, hey, hey guys, listen. You know, when you fell asleep and I was alone in the garden, I just got to be real with you. I didn't want to do it. It tore me up inside. I knew the road I was about to travel. I didn't want to do it. I was weak, guys. Can you believe I'm, I am the son of God? And, and I said, if it be possible, like I, I came to this earth knowing what I had to do. And then in the moment where the rubber meets the road, the moment where I'm about to get put on the cross and crucified, I'm kind of freaking out a little bit inside. And I say, if it be possible, please just let this pass. He could have kept that hidden. Nobody would have ever known just how troubled the spirit of Jesus was in that moment where he was about to be crucified but he was vulnerable. He shared what others couldn't see because he knew that to be fully known and to be fully seen, he had to walk in courage to share all of him, not just parts of him. I was in a play called The Messiah for seven years. It was a good play, great play. It was Easter every year in Bryan College Station, God's homeland. And I was younger at the time and I played Jesus. I grew up acting and loved theater, wanted to be a professional performer. God had uh, other plans, and I went into the ministry instead of being famous and rich. And um, it's okay. I'm working through that. Anyway, uh, so I'm playing Jesus on the cross, and I'm reading through the script, and I realize that my costume is not your typical Baptist costume where you wear the full robe on the cross. It's more resemblance of a diaper. Now, it was linen cloth. But it was just a linen strip of cloth. I'm pretty sure it just covered the essentials. So I stand in the mirror getting ready for my part in my whitey tidies, imagining what it's going to be look what it's going to feel like to stand there in front of thousands of people on the cross and I notice that one love hand handle is bigger than the other. And I notice um, that I'm at the age where I'm starting to get man boobs or moobs. And like there, there is no chiseling to my chest. There's just jiggling to my chest. And I don't have a six pack. I've got like a 12 pack. And I, I'm just thinking, how is this going to work? So in makeup, I asked the makeup artist, I said, hey, throw on a little bit of extra blood everywhere. Just throw it on. <laughs> I want it to be so dark and red and bloody. I mean, Jesus, you know, he, 
he was like demolished at the cross. I need you to make me look demolished at the cross. I don't want people seeing my nipples. I don't want people seeing my love handles. I don't want people seeing anything about me, like just blood everywhere. And she's like, okay. And um, then we got, you know, got in trouble by the lighting people because I just looked like a black blob on platform. So the next night, they had to use less blood. And I said, okay, at the very least, can you at least paint in some pecs and paint in, you know, I hear Britney Spears does that, and paint in um, a six-pack. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. Je Jesus wasn't a bodybuilder. He was strong. Nobody's going to care about that. It's a moving moment in the play. And I said, okay. So I get up on the cross. They lift me up, and it's, it's dramatic, and the crowd is screaming, crucify him. And Mother Mary is there crying, and, and Peter is crying, and John, the one whom I love most, is crying, and it's just so awesome, and I didn't realize that they had just brought the cross. It was about an eight-foot wooden beam cross in from outside. So I'm there on the cross, and I start feeling something run down the spine of my back, and I realize it's a bug. Now, I'm not, I'm not scared of bugs. I can handle June bugs. I can handle you know, most bugs. I can't, there, there's a lot of things I can't handle. I can't handle snakes. There's no good snake in the world. I can't handle spiders. I can't, you know, there's a lot that I can't handle. Um, but bugs are okay. No big deal. Until this thing starts climbing into my drawers. <laughs> Not just into my drawers. He, he climbs into my cheeks. By this time, I'm dead and not breathing and not moving. And I'm thinking, baby, you may be knocking, but you ain't getting in. <laughs> so very slowly, I start to push on the lower part of my back into the cross, hoping to squish that thing. And then it bites me. <laughs> yeah, not just once. <laughs> not just twice. Three times it bites me. And I'm thinking, well, this ain't working. And so it starts climbing around the side, underneath my loincloth, towards. I'm like, Jesus, we better speed this thing up. I know you rose on the third day, but we're about to make it one day. <laughs> right now. Jesus, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And so it starts biting me. Everywhere, And they take me off the cross. They lay me into Mother Mary's lap. And um, I'm laying there with my arm and I'm dead, can't move. But I'm trying to find that sucker. So Jesus, if you watch the video back in slow motion, this dead hand is just going different places. <laughs> so the disciples get me and they carry me out and we're singing, Mary, did you know? And it's all moving and they're carrying dead Jesus down the aisle out of the auditorium. And the moment I get beyond the doors, I leap out of the disciples' hands and I strip that loincloth off of me. And all the disciples are like, whoa! And they grab the blanket and they pull it up and they hide as all the ladies in their costumes are now covering their eyes, running to the back of the stage. And I'm thinking, you know, there just comes a point where you just don't care. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I had, I had like whitey tidies under, which is fine. And normally, like I don't strip in church ever. This is a one-time deal, but this thing was biting me, and it was, it was time to not care. You ever reach that point in life where you've been through enough, and you've worn the mask long enough, 
and you've acted strong long enough and you just don't care anymore. You don't care if you make a scene. You don't care if you offend somebody. You don't care if you say all the words right or incorrectly. You don't even care if you cuss because you just had enough. You ever been there? I know if you're a mama with kids that's been through elementary, you've been there a time or two. Vulnerability is this place where we actually realize we don't have to hold it all in to that moment where we explode. We can walk in health, mental health, spiritual health, even physical health by being vulnerable consistently with other people. Vulnerability is the willingness to be known and to be seen. If you're afraid to be known or to be seen, you have a fear of rejection. How many of you have ever been just really vulnerable with someone and you walk away? This happens to me all the time as a preacher. You know, you get caught up in the moment of making jokes and people laughing or whatever, and you're like, oh, I went too far. Or I'm sharing my heart about something God's doing in my life, and I tear up, and I can't keep it together, and I I go home, and I think, I shared too much. How many of you have ever just been vulnerable with someone, and you walk away, and you think, I just shared too much, right? Some of us, most of us. And you beat yourself up, don't you? I do. You beat yourself up. But what's interesting is when someone sitting across the aisle from you is vulnerable with you, and they say, hey, man, I'm really struggling with porn. It's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my love life. It's affecting my kids. I know they feel it. I know that they feel a spirit of seduction in our home. And someone is vulnerable with you, you think, wow, what courage. I just want to give you the freedom to see yourself as courageous today. Your vulnerability is not your weakness. Your vulnerability is your strength. In fact, vulnerability is a direct measurement of your courage. So I want to talk about vulnerability for a few minutes that I have left There are some barriers to vulnerability. I'll just list a few of them for you. Number one is guilt. Everybody say guilt. We have a hard time being vulnerable with one another when we feel guilty. We, we just are walking in guilt. Now, guilt is about what I did. So I did something bad, right? That's guilt. Another barrier is shame. Everybody say shame. Shame is about who I am. So guilt is what I did. Shame is who I am. Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I'm bad. Do you see the difference? Shame is extremely toxic and negative in your life. It will tear down what God is doing in your heart. Guilt is not good for you either, but it's not directly attacking the very core of who you are, your personhood. Let me give you some examples of shame. These are very large stereotypes, so if you don't fit in the stereotype, it's okay. You're not weird. I'm just giving a stereotype. For the most part, shame affects women by attacking every role they have in life. They want to be a good mom. They want to be a good wife. They want to be a good worker. They want to be a good boss. They want to be a good follower of Jesus. They want to be a good community member. They want to be, do you know what I mean? All of these things combined, and when you start to feel shame, you start telling yourself, I'll never be good enough. I'll never 
be good enough. If you've had those thoughts, that is shame attacking the very core of who you are, the very core of who Jesus says that you are, and the enemy will use multiple avenues to get to you because you are a lady, and that's often how he wants to attack you by who you are. You will never be good enough. Now, being a guy is much more simple. Shame affects guys in primarily only one way. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be weak. I would rather my family see me die on a white horse going into war than for my family to see me fall off the horse. I'm a man, and I want to be strong. And shame will tell us that we're weak. Man, shame will tell us that we're not strong. You aren't strong enough to keep that marriage together. You aren't strong enough to keep that job. You're, you're weak. You're not bringing in the bacon like you should as a man. You're a weak man. That's shame. And it's trying to attack the very core of who God says that you are. Shame will always affect our level of vulnerability. That's why for men, sometimes it's really, really, really hard for us to be vulnerable. Because when we are, we feel weak. Women, you have a lot less issues being vulnerable. You can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and Lucy's doing this too, and so and so's doing this too, and I did this. And, you know, you can be vulnerable to an extreme, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. That's something different. That's not kingdom vulnerability, and I'll teach you about that in a second. But men, if we want to be vulnerable, we have to understand that our strength is not in our strength. Our strength is in our vulnerability, our ability to be courageous enough to show our wives and our kids and our family the full frame of who we are, not just the parts that we want to display. Why is vulnerability important? Vulnerability fuels meaningful communication. Everybody say meaningful. You can have a lot of communication that's not meaningful. Happens in my home all the time. I've got tons of kids. Seems like I get more every day by marriage. And if we're not careful in my home, our communication can become, hey, you're trash. Hey, you're, you're dishes. Hey, you didn't sweep like you're supposed to. Who let the dogs out? <laughs> Who let the dogs Who let the dogs out? Did you feed the dogs? Did you check the mail? What's your schedule? Is your homework done? You know, and that's needed communication. It's healthy communication, but it's not meaningful communication. My kids will never be able to accuse me of not knowing the details of their world, where they are at all times, what they're doing, what they're doing on their technology, who their friends are, what they think is um, appropriate standards of behavior, like how responsible they are. They'll never be able to accuse me of not knowing those details, but I hope to God they can't and they won't accuse me of knowing all the details of their schedule, but nothing about their heart. That's meaningful communication. The other stuff is needed, but vulnerability fuels meaningful communication and meaningful communication fuels connection. 
I can tell my kids all day long to do their chores, but I'm not connecting with their heart. And they need to do their chores, kids. If you're, if you're my kid, you're gonna do your chores. But our communication will extend beyond level of responsibility into level of relationship. Vulnerability is the birth, you might wanna write this down and ponder this. This is pretty life-changing once you grasp it. Vulnerability is the birthplace of change, creativity, joy, and peace. Vulnerability is not a pity party. Vulnerability is not saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. Are you struggling with this too? It's awful. That's not vulnerability. That's negativity. There's a difference between vulnerability and negativity. Negativity says you have a condition or you're struggling with something and you need someone to, to join in on your misery because you want to feel better about yourself. Vulnerability is, I have this condition, I'm struggling with this thing, and we're going to throw Jesus in the mix with you and me, and vulnerability will spring forth hope. You know, when Mary anointed the feet of Jesus, she washed his feet with her tears, dried them with her hair. Such a vulnerable moment where she just laid her heart out before the Lord. Kingdom vulnerability, the response to that is always love. So when I'm vulnerable with Ryan, he doesn't tell me how awful my sin is. He doesn't reject me. He doesn't say, you should know better, or I can't believe you would do that. That's not kingdom vulnerability. See, some of you have been building barriers around your heart because you've been rejected by people. You've been vulnerable with people, and they rejected you. But you were vulnerable in a situation that wasn't kingdom vulnerability because kingdom vulnerability, the response is always love. And just so you know, if you've been rejected by someone because you laid your heart bare and they weren't kingdom-minded enough to receive it and speak hope and life into it, it's not because you were vulnerable that you got rejected. It's because something inside of them is not yet healed. So you don't turn off the vulnerability measure. You don't turn off the vulnerability faucet and say, I can't be vulnerable with anyone because they're going to take it. They're going to destroy my name. They're going to do this or they're going to do that or I'm going to feel wounded. It's not your issue. It's not that you were vulnerable that caused this. It's their life that's not yet healed. Condemnation is another thing that will keep us from being vulnerable. Condemnation is accusation. conviction, the Spirit of God will bring light to the areas that need to be changed, but it's always in a manner that you feel accepted and loved by the Lord. Not like you're not good enough or you're weak. That's great, Pastor. You talk about vulnerability, but what now? What do I do? How, how do I put this into action? I, I'll give you a couple simple scenarios. Connect groups start this fall. Right now we're doing a trial run. We're shaking some things up. We're doing a heavy, and our people are starting, I think, in three weeks of the trial group. 
Um, and then we're going to launch it. Once we realize just how awesome we are at this, we're going to launch it in September. Connect groups are going to become the secret sauce of the Exchange Church. And we're heavily focusing on vulnerability in our groups, building trust with each other and being completely vulnerable and allowing the Holy Spirit to bring healing to us. That's in September. But great. Why am I preaching this now and what can I do now? I'm glad you asked. Why don't you find someone and take them out to lunch? You know, you can actually pull vulnerability out of someone by the questions that you ask. One good question, now you're all gonna know my secret. Make someone vulnerable with you. Maybe they're hesitant or they're having a hard time opening up. Ask them a question like this. What's your greatest dream? Do you know that when you ask someone their greatest dream, God loves dreams so much and the spirit of God is so much in the dreams of humanity that it almost creates a spiritual connection whenever you can pull that dream out of them. It creates vulnerability. Or ask the question, what is God, what is God doing in your life right now? Tell me, just what is God doing? Like, just ask the questions and start to talk. This week, the Lord's just been messing with me on vulnerability really messing with me. I have a really bad habit when I'm driving of not talking. I'm not being rude. I'm not trying to ignore you. I just don't, I'm, I'm analyzing. I analyze, I overanalyze, and then I analyze why I'm overanalyzing. Like my brain is never silent. That's why I can drive literally 12 hours and not even need a break because I'm just processing. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about that. I'm looking at the road. I'm watching for potholes, I'm looking for cars, I'm looking for deer, I'm looking for the people coming up behind me to see if they're gonna tap their brakes or move over, if they're gonna clip me. I'm looking at the weather. I'm checking the weather of the destination we're headed to, wanting to make sure that I'm equipped and I've got enough gas and how far is the next gas station. I'm calling Taco Bell to see if they have chili cheese burritos. Like I'm just, I'm processing everything. I'm not talking at all. And it's not that I don't like you. It's just that I'm focused. And maybe it's because when I was 12, 13, my best friend was killed in a car accident and it imprinted something in me about being very cautious on the road. I'm an awful backseat driver. You don't want me ever riding with you. I mean, my wife, when she's driving, she can do nothing right in my eyes. Lawrence is even worse. Like I'm an awful backseat driver. I, I stress people out when I ride with them. So I, that's why I typically just drive, drive the whole way. We went to New Mexico a couple months ago, a little family trip. Lawrence, Michaela, my kids, Carrie. I didn't really talk the whole 12 hours. They would ask me a question and I would answer. I'm not really good at small talk, to be honest. You think I'm all outgoing and all that. That's because I've spent a good number of hours preparing a sermon from the heart of God for you, and I've practiced it. And I am a theater guy, so I know how to stand before a crowd, but you get me one-on-one, -on -one and I am suddenly the most awkward person you know. Who left? <laughs> Twelve hours on the road, I didn't talk. And this week, the Lord asked me a question. He said, 
Do you know how much time you wasted on a family trip by caring more about the pavement in front of you or the rear view behind you than, than the people I've placed in your life in the car with you? So carry ups. I'm sorry. Michaela and Lawrence, will you, will you forgive me? Any other my kids in here? Addison, Jordan, Tristan, Jordan, I'm sorry, man. I love my time with you so much, and I wasted a lot of time on that trip. So this week, as the Lord's wrecking my world, I take Addison to work. It's 14 minutes from her house to here. She works a few doors down, and we never talk because I'm driving, and she's on her phone. And she's fine with that. She can entertain herself on the phone, and I'm fine focused on the road. But I was pulling out of my neighborhood, and the Lord said, don't let this 14 minutes be another 12 hours. So I thought of a game real quick. And um, it's this, and you can use it. You can tell your kids you made it up. It's called, what do you think about blank? Oh, Tristan, you're on lights. <laughs> Tristan, do you forgive me, buddy? I love you. <laughs> See, I know you think this is no big deal. My son has been in Australia for three years. He doesn't get to get on my nerves every day like my wife and kids do now. You know what I mean? Like, I value every second I get to spend with him, which is once every year or two. sorry to be snotting all over the place. Oh, thank you. So the game is this. What do you think about blank? And you can ask any question. Like, no question is off limits. And so I asked Addison, I said, hey, Addison, what do you think about girls who don't feel pretty without makeup? And she started talking and told me this whole story about this girl that she uh, knew from camp. And this girl would wake up before everyone else to put on her makeup and then go to sleep after everyone else went off to sleep before she washed off the makeup. And Addison told me just how it, it wrecked her, her heart because how sad it must be to be, feel so unworthy that the people you're doing life with won't even accept you without makeup. We talked a lot about self-image talked a lot about what the Lord thinks about us. I mean, that simple question just opened up so much conversation. And then she asked, it was her turn, she asked me a question. I didn't like it too much. She said, what do you think about people Tristan's age watching 2020 or Dateline when there's murder or mystery? And I was like, oh, has he been watching that when I was watching it? She was like, yep, just wondering what you think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's not good. It's not good. I wasn't aware. 
wasn't thinking I need to be more with it, more present. And, but it, it led us into a dialogue and conversation about technology. And I said, you know, when I was a kid, we used to wake up every Saturday morning early. That was not the day to sleep in. That was the day to get up and get to the TV. Mama, daddy, you remember? Mama, daddy, dad, mom, you remember this? <laughs> big old bowl of cereal, like up early, bowl of cereal, watching TV, big old box TV, not flat screen kids. They actually came in big boxes and watched cartoons. And I've talked to Addison about how technology now is causing and creating a culture where we just communicate via a screen all the time. And we're okay with that. That's the new norm. Like, you don't really go outside and play anymore for hours on end. You may, if your mom and dad make you for a few minutes, but then you're like, it's hot. I need some water. I need my video games. Right? I mean, so we had this very deep, meaningful conversation simply about 2020 and Dateline, and it was, it was phenomenal. And I dropped her off at work, and she was like, bye, Dad, thanks for the ride. I love you. And then I tried it with Jor Jordan. Was it Jordan? Tristan. Tried it with Tristan. Same thing, very meaningful conversations. Even just weird questions, bizarre questions. I'm just encouraging you to practice vulnerability. And I'll leave you with this thought. You will never know the depths and the fullness of God's love for you until you allow yourself to become vulnerable with one another and you receive acceptance in return. Because what we do is we've created a case against ourselves, and we say, if they only knew this about me, then they wouldn't accept me. If they only knew this about me, they wouldn't love me. If they only knew this about me, my pastor wouldn't let me serve. If they only knew this about me, my leaders wouldn't let me lead. If they only knew this about me, my husband would disrespect me or not respect me or my wife would not respect me. We create this whole pattern and case where we constantly try to create a frame of goodness because if they only knew. But when you walk in kingdom vulnerability, and you share that mess, and you receive the love of Christ in return, then the full image of God's love is made perfect in your heart through kingdom relationship. I wanna pray over you. Heavenly Father, I come before you today. I thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing in our heart and in our life. God, I ask that over the coming days, we will reach out to our family, reach out to our friends, to our neighbors, and just become vulnerable. Let the fullness of your love be made perfect through our vulnerability. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We would love to hear how God is moving in your life. Share your story by visiting theexchangechurch.org and click on Connect to contact us.